Hey everyone, Matt here. Just want to give a quick precursor and say that Max forgot to hit record before he did his joke in the intro, so we just hear the last little bit of it, um, which I think is very funny because then Luke says crushed it. Anyway, here's that bit. Force for thought. Crushed it. Only one alt. That's perfect. Nailed it. Hello and welcome back to Force for Thought. Today we are going to be talking about some of the most emotional moments in Star Wars, specifically character deaths. We are going to be ranking our top five individual uh, character deaths and then uh, giving some honorable mentions along the way. So without any further ado, we're going to start with our number five and I'm going to start with Matthew. Real quick, I think I always do this. One mention is I should we should mention that this is recording before the finale of Ahsoka. That's a good point. <laughs> if there is a notable death in the uh, season finale of Ahsoka, then uh, uh, this is why it was not included, most likely. Yes. We also uh, did these much like we did the quotes, which is where we uh, Max's wife, Lauren, looked over these uh, before we are talking about them. And so I'm looking at my list now for the first time on re-edited so we don't have any duplicates. So basically, whoever had the uh, person higher on the list got it while the other people had to nix it. So... My number five apparently is Yoda. Um, really? Yeah. I okay. So is it a kind of lame death? Yes. And so I was. I'm wondering how you guys are going to view all of these deaths as well. Um, to be to be 100 honest, Yoda was in my honorable mentions originally, which has shifted the list a bit. Someone got kicked out of your top five because it was a, a repeat, so you mm, bumped them up. Like three people got kicked out of my top five, so I have to <laughs> re- okay. rethink of all of this on the fly. It must have been a lot of people because I was joking about my not top five for the yeah. five worst Star Wars deaths, and Yoda was in there for me. Yeah. Wait, worst deaths? Yeah. Yeah. He it, just kind of falls asleep and is like, "All right, I'm gonna go to bed." He does, but I think what it means for the story is huge, right? I mean. It, it sets, yes, he dies in kind of a lame way, but I also feel like he goes out super graciously in comparison to, you know, what he could have. He survived, he, how much he survived, the backstory, his history. Um, and I, I think that it leaves Luke stranded, right? He's not fully trained. And so now he has to kind of go on by himself. So it's like, yes, Yoda, but it's also the implications of what Yoda's death brings to the, not only the story, but also Luke Skywalker. Yeah, so number that's five, fair. Luke, There's also kind of a poetic justice there that Yoda was a Jedi master for hundreds and hundreds of years and a great warrior at times, then he actually yeah. did get a peaceful death at the end. Which is a rarity. And especially for somebody that is like that high up and that well known mm-hmm. um, and has been through that many, you know, so many battles. Um, yeah. I think Yoda's death is, it, it is dumb. And it's a little silly, right? But it's also, it is peaceful and it's kind of beautiful. Um, he, he literally just kind of like yeets out, uh, which is funny. Yeah. I mean, it's impressive on one, on the one hand that he survived hundreds and hundreds of years in the position that he was but then also the last 20 30 years of his life he was enemy number one of the galactic empire and he just hunkered down and survived all that time and then peacefully died like you know chief palpatine is still kicking himself every day even on exegol wondering about where yoda is yes exactly again it's the implications what the entire galaxy Mm -hmm. all right uh, in full disclosure, so when I made my list, I had narrowed it down to 17, and Yoda was not in there. <laughs> I I appreciate everything that you're saying, and I agree with everything that you're saying. I think from a story perspective, there was really no difference between him alive and him dead. So mm-hmm. that was kind of my thinking as to why he didn't quite make yeah. the list for me. To be fair, it's been a very busy day, and uh, <laughs> I got to start this list at 7 o'clock. It is currently like 8 o'clock. <laughs> All right, Luke, you're number five. 
My number five, kind of a deep cut. I went from the Rise of Kylo Ren comic book with the Jedi Vo. So I know most people haven't read this comic, so I'll catch you up real quick. The Rise of Kylo Ren tells the story of Kylo Ren, assumedly what we knew from The Last Jedi is that Kylo destroyed Luke's temple, vanished with a handful of students, and slaughtered the rest. Well, the comic gets into it, and it was the Knights of Ren that blew up the temple, and then Kylo Ren ran off and joined them. And a couple of Luke's former Jedi students went to chase Ben Solo to bring him back to the light. And when he was joining the Knights of Ren, they kept saying that to join the Knights of Ren, you have to have one good kill to be initiated. And Kylo Ren, like, you know, didn't love that. But eventually he fought the leader of the Knights of Ren, Ren himself, and he killed Ren and became the master of the Ren and said, there's your good kill. And it was, like, kind of a a narrative cop-out that, like, he needed a good kill, but, like, it was a bad guy, so it was justified. And it was releasing right before The Rise of Skywalker. And so everyone kind of thought that maybe Kylo Ren would be redeemed and this comic was coming out and we thought it was going to be like, oh, well, he he didn't actually burn down the temple. He didn't actually slaughter all the students. He is just kind of misunderstood and he was never really truly evil. But then at the end of the issue, Vo, one of the Jedi from Luke's temple, catches up to him after he kills Ren. And she says, you know, it's not too late. You can come back. And he says, no, it is too late. And he stabs her. And that is the good kill. And that was his commitment to the dark side. And the implications that it means for the character that he didn't have to be, you know, never truly evil in terms of the sequel trilogy to be redeemed. Because he was fully on board with the dark side. And he was 100% committing himself to embracing darkness. And it's not that he was not so far gone that he couldn't come back. He was completely gone, and he could still come back. And there's never a point that's too far for you to be redeemed. Oh, that's yeah. I like everything you said, Luke. That's really cool. It was really good. And it's it's a total of four issues, and there are a bunch of other Jedi from the uh, temple that are in it as well, and they kind of like slowly die off. But they kind of die like like not directly at the hands of Kylo Ren, but like indirectly, right? And so everyone... Yeah, the whole series, you're thinking that they're just doing cop-outs, that he never actually killed anyone, and this exactly. is all... Yeah. He's just misunderstood. And then at the very end of the last issue, he, he finally kills someone in cold blood, and you're like, oh, okay, there it is. Yes. He's, he's evil. Yeah, I love that. Fan of the comics, I love that. That, yeah. was a, that was a deep pull, but I appreciate it. My number five is a little more of a low-hanging fruit. I went with Luke Skywalker. Now, it's kind of hard to split... Uh, you know, Luke's death from the moment of everything else that's going on. Um, uh, we've talked about it before, uh, everything going on with uh, so many character arcs being completed in The Last Jedi uh, in that moment, right? So you have uh, Kylo Ren, who thinks he's b- defeated Luke Skywalker, only to find out that he still has much to learn. You have Rey, who's finally learning to use the Force and trust in the Force. Uh, Poe, who's learning to be a leader. Um, and Finn, who I, I guess maybe Finn, I should say, is learning to trust in the Force. Um, but you have a lot of these story arcs kind of coming to a conclusion, and then it ends with Luke Skywalker peacefully overlooking the um, the two sons over Ankto uh, that parallel the two sons over Tatooine, obviously, and then he passes away peacefully. And I think it is beautiful and poetic, and his death and the ten minutes leading up to it always gives me goosebumps. Yeah, See, I, I think... Sorry, no. Oh, I, I was saying, I, I agree. Um, now I'm all frazzled. You'll have to cut this. Um, it's a great, again, poetic justice for the beginning and end of Luke's uh, character arc as a Jedi that Yoda taught him a Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense, never for attack. And then Luke does that to such a skillful degree that it literally kills him. And that is the epitome of what a Jedi should be. 
I agree with everything. I really agree with what both of you are saying. The only thing is I feel like um, I, I don't love that death scene specifically because I feel like it is overshadowed by everything that comes before. It doesn't feel like he gets his own moment to actually to die. It's literally like what ten? It's like twenty seconds. It's it is very like Obi Wan, right? It's like a combination of almost Obi Wan and Yoda, um, which is great. But at the same time, it feels like it's overshadowed by everything else that is going on to me. We're like Han Solo. You, he gets a full scene of his death, right? Even uh, you know, even Leia, he gets a full. She gets a full scene out of just like this death. But then I feel like uh, for Luke, it's just kind of wrapped up into this epic scene. I think that's very fair. Yeah, that's kind of how I started it too. Yeah. Saying like it's hard to differentiate his death yes. from everything else that's yeah. going on because it's... it is such a great, great part of the movie. Um, yeah, that's 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 totally fair. All right, let's move on to uh, our number fours, uh, Luke. All right, my number four. I took a character from the books. This time I went to the High Republic. So. I will be spoiling it. I know you guys haven't read it, despite my many asks that you please read it. But I'm just going to go ahead and throw caution to the wind and say, you're never going to read it. So whatever. I'm going to spoil it for you. It's really good. You can spoil it, but we'll get get around to it. The Rising Storm, one of the Jedi, Loden Great Storm, has one of the most impactful deaths in all of Star Wars. So, again, to catch you up on the story, Loden Great Storm was captured by the bad guys, the Nile, and he was tortured for weeks or months. And... They, you know, starved him, tortured him with, like, I don't, I don't remember exactly how, pain, and they, like, sheared off, he was a Twi'lek, they, like, sheared off his Leku, and when they finally get to him, he got, you know, stubs for Leku, and he's very malnourished and scarred up, but it wasn't the physical torture that got to him, because as a Jedi, he was so well-trained to handle it, mm-hmm. they started bringing in other people and torturing them in front of him because they couldn't handle it and as a Jedi, he was so empathetic that he could feel their pain and so that's how they tortured him for weeks or months and it's super dark and super sad but then they finally rescue him and he is beaten up and bruised and he starts fighting his way out with his yellow lightsaber and it's an amazing scene and then the Nile finally unleash the leveler for the first time which is the main villain, the main it, not it's not the villain the main monster in mm-hmm. the high republic it is nameless they refer to it as the nameless sometimes it's like a big cat kind of like a lion and it just sucks the life right out of force users as soon as it shows up anyone that's force sensitive starts feeling panicked and they completely lose their connection to the force and if it gets close enough they turn to dust and so loden is fighting for his life trying to get out and this lion comes over to him and he just drops dead in complete terror, turns to stone, and then to dust. And it is so tragic that he was so tortured for such a long time, and then he finally got out, and then they unleash the most devastating weapon that anyone has ever used against the Jedi in all of Star Wars. Wow. That is brutal. That is brutal. That's really cool. All right. Well, I'm sold. I'm going to start reading the High Republic. <laughs> I have so I have read uh, the High Republic comics, and I think that that is in some of the comics. Yes, you see the um, oh, what's it called? The Trial of Sha- the Trail of Shadows comic series issue one opens up with a still image of Loden Great Storm turned to dust because that whole series is about like a comic noir 
detective story about yeah. finding out what it is that turns Jedi to dust. Yeah. And dust. Loden and was the inciting really incident. Cool. That makes sense because it's really good, but I always felt like I was missing something of that story. And that's part of like why I'm struggling to get into the High Republic is because it's so interrelated with itself that I'm like finding it difficult to know where to jump onto it. Because I'm reading the comics. I'm reading all the comics from the High Republic, but it's like it, you feel like you're missing like half a story. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, so my number four, um, much to the uh, consternation of many, I went with Vice Admiral Amelin Holdo, the infamous Holdo maneuver. I know that a lot of people dislike it. Uh, a lot of people think that it breaks Star Wars, and they are absolutely wrong. It is one of the coolest deaths in all of Star Wars. It is one of the coolest moments, and this is basically just going to be a big defense of the Holdo maneuver. So buckle up for a second. So everyone always says like, oh, the Holdo maneuver is silly. Like it kind of like breaks Star Wars. It's overpowered and everything like that. And it's not. It was a moment of sacrifice where Amelin Holdo did what she had to do just to give the rebels a little more time to get to the planet. Because when you break down what happened, that's all that she did. She she drove her ship into light speed through the Supremacy, Snoke's flagship. And it fractured and it broke all the other ships and everything. And everything kind of was destroyed. But it wasn't gone forever, and you cut back to the supremacy, and almost everyone on board is fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the main characters are fine. The ships are dismantled, but they're still able to evacuate the ships. They're able to get their uh, walkers back down to the planet. It's not an overpowered move at all. It's not something that's not based in reality, because if you had this universe where, hyperspe- where hyperspeed exists, this is something that people would be doing, because we know from our own history that kamikaze attacks exists. Just look at Pearl Harbor, and that didn't break warfare or anything like that. So I always think that that's kind of silly and upsetting. But anyway, it was a moment of uh, a great sacrifice, obviously, and... Um, and she did it to, to save the rebels, and it was it was beautiful, and it's it's an incredible moment on scene, on screen. I remember watching that scene in the movie theater, and the moment where all the volume just kind of cuts out, and everyone's just speechless. It was it was amazing. Damn. So anybody wants to argue against you has to argue for Pearl Harbor. It sounds like <laughs> correct. Really, really got him trapped there. Yeah. Really good. <laughs> good call on that one. No, I agree. I think Holdo's death is is really cool. I mean, it is that the sacrificial moment, and I think um, I loved like seeing those. I think AMC posted it when it was, like on all the doors for Last Jedi when it was like this is an intentional creative decision that all the sound will go off. There is no really. I yeah, I remember that. those signs. Yeah, it, which is so funny. Um, but yeah, I mean. It's a great moment. I, I wish we understood her a little bit more, but it's almost more intriguing the fact that we don't really understand her m- much more because it's just like, yep, she was good the entire time and she literally is sacrificing herself so that other people can go on and that's everything you kind of need to know about her. And I'm kind of surprised we haven't been introduced uh, to her in some sort of, I guess we haven't really had the chance, but in another sort of show or something. I feel like she'd be a really interesting character to kind of... Uh, to explore and she's got purple hair is that a genetic thing i assume now you know like we were talking about with jason sandula um yeah could be one of her parents is a purple twilight exactly i think it was uh confirmed wasn't it in the yeah, princess of alderaan in leia princess of alderaan oh. i do believe she has two human parents because she mm. is she a main character in that book i have never read that one uh i never finished it but yeah she's pretty main is it okay but she's a kid right with leia yeah because leia it was before a new hope so leia was However, old nineteen and a new hope, so it's at least she's younger than that. I would guess she's probably like fifteen in this book, and Amelin Holdo similar. And I know she makes a couple very minor appearances in some of the Star Wars mainline comic series. I think that's about it, though. We really don't see a whole lot. Have we seen the Battle of Chiron Belt in the comics? 
Because I'm still holding out for that story. Because Poe Dameron references that? Yeah. Um, I don't believe so. No, I'm pretty far behind on the, the main line, though. They, so. must, they must be cooking up something real cool for that. <laughs> they're holding on to it this long. They know we're clamoring for it. At least I am. Maybe I'm alone. You can't <laughs> allude to that and not tell us what it was. Exactly. All right, Just Matt. like Obi-Wan's brother. You gotta... Oh, we'll get Obi-Wan's brother. Don't worry. <laughs> we will not. <laughs> Someone oh, somewhere already knows that story. I was bringing that up for Luke. Um, my number four is Count Dooku. Um, I'm taking this a oh, little good. bit. I wanted Count Dooku in my list, yeah. but I couldn't justify it. I'm glad we get to talk about him. Once again, to be fair, he was in my honorable mentions. <laughs> but I think Count Dooku, it's, again, think more, um, you guys have some super cool deaths. I think, Luke, you're going really, really uh, more in the weeds, I think, um, with your books and comics. But I think Count Dooku, I'll never forget, in like 2005, when, you know, I was 12, I think, 11 or 12, when I went to go see Revenge of the Sith. And I remember the, the hype towards it. And this is like, you know, really peak fandom, especially at the time. And the fact that Count Dooku just got murdered in the first 10 minutes mm-hmm. is still shocking. And then the fact that, like, he looks so shocked right before he dies is yeah. a great performance by Christopher Lee. It, like, it still gets me to this day because I can't, I could not fathom that that was actually happening. The um, sound of the two lightsabers shrieking off each other. So, yeah, it's great. I mean, like a pair of scissors. And it feels like. With, with the Emperor, it feels just like, obviously, <laughs> reminiscent, right, of, of uh, uh, Return of the Jedi. And I feel like he's, you know, he's, he's, in, his, he's in his chair, he's in his, uh, his throne, and you get Anakin like, kind of officially getting those, that first step into the dark side. And yeah, I think, I think Count Dooku, once again, not only for, for Anakin and for Count Dooku, but what it means for the galaxy and then what that leads to. Number four, Count Dooku. That's a very good pick. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't even think of that one. That one wasn't on my really? list at all, and it, it probably should have been. Yeah, yeah that good was a one. good pick. And the the imagery of the the blue and the red. Yeah, I would have That's had to great. go into um, the Revenge of the Sith novelization, which is not technically <laughs> canon, to talk about Count Dooku's death, and I didn't want to get into non-canon stuff. But you we another, talked another, about it already. Another plug for the Rise, of, the Revenge of the Sith novelization. It's really good, and it's not canon, but it might as well be. It's not uncanon, and it's, re- it's got some really cool parts in it. All right. Um, moving on to our number three picks, and I will go first so that I can wrap up my uh, trilogy of picks from The Last Jedi, because my number three oh, yeah, is... Oh, yeah, they're all from The Last Jedi so far. <laughs> that movie's so good. <laughs> it's good. There's a lot of good deaths in it. Uh, my number three pick is Snoke himself. So, again, hard to differentiate his death from just the scene and everything else that's going around it, but it is my favorite scene. Ooh, hold on. Got to think about that before I say it. I'm going to say it. My favorite scene in all of Star Wars. All right. Uh, the moment where uh, uh, Kylo Ren uses the Force to manipulate Rey's lightsaber and activates it in order to cut him in half. And then Rey calls the lightsaber to herself. Kylo Ren and Rey lock eyes and then go back to back and fight the Praetorian Guard. It's one of the top... If it's not my favorite scene, it is certainly in my top five. Yeah. I remember being in the theater with you and I was just shrieking. It was a great moment. Yeah, that's one of my favorite theater experiences of all time. Yep. I remember he ignites the blade and cuts Snoke in half. You're like, oh my god, this could not be cooler. And then the music starts to crescendo, and he brings the lightsaber forward, and then Ray's hand pops up from the bottom of the frame and grabs yeah. it. And it's like, oh yeah. my god, this scene is even cooler than it could be. Everyone freaks out about Captain America taking Thor's hammer, which me saying Thor's hammer and not the actual name is probably an indicator that like that moment is cool. But, like, it was fine, right? I'm like, yeah, Captain America can, can do everything. What a surprise. What a, what a boring character. And it, for me, for us, I feel like it is this moment in that, that theater experience where I'm like, everyone's reaction to Captain America holding, getting that 
that uh, the hammer is exactly how I felt during that moment in Last Jedi. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. But way more interesting, I think. Uh, Matt, number yeah. three. Number three. Okay, guys, this is actually, this is the more exciting one because it's actually not in my honorable mentions that actually made my list of my top three. <laughs> um, I mentioned this before. I don't think this comes as any surprise, but number three is tech. Um, I love the Bad Batch. I specifically love tech. Uh, I'm glad everybody else seems to as well. I think his death, imagine like Kanan, which we, I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> in a little <laughs> bit, comes as a total surprise. Um, exp- you know, obviously, Tech's at the end of the season, so we don't really know what happens afterwards or anything. But it is not a death that I saw coming uh, at all. And it's in such a, mi- not minor, but it's in such a minor inconvenience that, that we have seen them beat and we have seen them overcome this little inconvenience and yes, yet i agree because the, yeah. these characters are constantly in mortal danger yes and if they're gonna go out it's like oh they have flat armor so they're gonna survive this and yep. ter- this terrible threat and it's just the simplest thing that actually gets them in the end exactly and that's the thing and that's why i think yoda's is so good where it doesn't he was able to survive right his death and i think tech he did it for his family you know and i think he, he like he always does he you know they don't follow orders and i think it is a beautiful moment and I was a couple episodes behind, and Max, I think, called me and was like, you have to finish this right now. <laughs> and I was like, well, last time Max said that, which was the Breaking Bad season three finale, uh, like a decade ago. And so I was like, well, I have to do whatever I'm, stop whatever I'm doing now and just finish Bad Batch. And he was 1,000% correct. And I was, it was such a downer the rest of the day. <laughs> and it is so unexpected, too, because even though, even though we've seen the Clone Wars and Rebels, and we know that these characters can die, you still think, like, oh, plot armor, this is a kid's show, they're mm-hmm. not going to kill off any major characters, right? Because during that whole scene, I never even thought of his death as a possibility, because like never. Luke said, they, they keep getting out of these situations one way or another, and then it was when he delivered his final line, when he raised his blaster and said, when have we ever followed orders? Yeah. That was when I was like, oh my god, and then he shoots the the little cable or whatever that was holding him up and then he falls to his death and it unleashes the the cable car that they were on saving them and everything it was beautiful and then when they throw his goggles to confirm he's dead is heartbreak or not dead i don't know we'll see i think they threw those goggles to confirm that they found his body yeah we i know we've (laughs) we've talked about this a lot too but just that like that was like the nail in the coffin where it's just like wow there's like presumably especially in that moment no chance that he's actually alive I do not read that moment the same, but really? I, I love Tech's death. Yeah, interesting. No matter how permanent it proves, we might have to redo this episode. We'll see. Well, I mean, no matter what happens, even if he's in season three, episode one of the Bad Batch, that scene will not change. It was still an amazing scene. Yeah, absolutely. Luke, number three. My number three comes from Andor. I had to include something from Andor because it's my favorite show of all time, and Nemec's death is so impactful. Oh, that's a good one. Luke. I. I was thinking when I was making this list, you know, it has to, how does this death affect the story or the characters or the audience? And this death affected me in the audience so impactfully. Cut that. (laughs) No, no, no. I I, just just reused the word impactful twice, though, because this death impacted me in the audience so substantially because I was just sitting there watching it and it was like, it was an intense scene there, you know, Stealing the Imperial payroll from the the planet that's name escapes me. Um, what's the planet? I don't know. Uh, Ahsoka just started. Oh that's all God. I'm thinking about. <laughs> why, why can't I think of it? 
Aldani. Aldani. Uh, the Aldani heist. Oh, my God. It's they're so, they're stealing the, the Imperial payroll from Aldani, and they're getting away, and it's really intense. And they got away from the Imperials. They shut the door, and they're not getting shot at anymore. And as soon as they launch, Nemec just gets crushed by a crate. Yep. And even when they're getting away, you know, they give him the... the whatever the space morphine and so he can still do the navigation and he's shouting climb just like k2so did in his death scene which i'm sure we'll talk about and it's an amazing scene and i was so confident that he was going to live and then they debated whether or not to try to save him to take him to the surgeon that was built into the contingency and they take him there and he still dies and i like we we talked about just now about plot armor and you knew in andor that there's not necessarily as much plot armor because they're doing it in three episode arcs, so these characters don't necessarily need to carry over from one arc to the next. But just the way he died so unceremoniously, mm-hmm. yet so it was just such a stark moment when that crate hit him, and it like I felt like I got punched in the gut. That's one of uh, we Max and I always talk about this. Uh, is one of Max's like least favorite things in movies is is, is jarring deaths that just kind of happen, like in Pulp Fiction when the guy gets shot yeah, in the car. Deep. And it's like not necessarily the same because he doesn't die instantly. It's debatably worse where he does get crushed, and it's because of a fluke. Basically, he was just standing mm-hmm. in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it's it is heartbreaking. And like we we talk about Andor and Nemec all the time, but man, like that is a character that we I you could see in other things and, and other stories and, and continuing on. And yet they just, they, they begin him and end him within like two, two to three episodes. Yes. And, and not, not to mention his legacy that his manifesto goes on to shape Cassian's life as a rebel and get the plans to the death star essentially. Yeah. And Andor gets a lot of credit for being such a grounded star Wars show. And I think that's one of the most grounded moments ever because it's not like this great fantastical death. Like Matt said, he was just standing at the wrong place at the wrong time. And, going to the surgeon which they had built into the contingency and him still dying that's just like a super grounded moment where it's just like yeah sometimes people don't survive going to the hospital Mm -hmm. like his injuries were just too great and we've never really seen that in star wars and we've talked before about how he was saying i can't feel my legs and we were all thinking like oh my god he's gonna be in a wheelchair like we've never really seen that in star wars that'll be interesting and then nope just dead that is not what i was thinking when that happened (laughs) oh really you didn't have that thought when he mentioned i can't feel my legs i know you did yeah, I thought, well, yeah. All I thought was, oh, my God, he's paralyzed. That's that, that's not good. Well, I, I had a lot of thoughts that go into my head. I was like, oh, that's cool. They're going to be like, uh, uh, like have them in a wheelchair or something. We've never seen that. So like, that's inclusive. But then I also like was like, Professor X? yeah, basically. That's exactly what I thought. So actually. your thought was someone gets crushed and you're just thinking about how he's going to get around the rest of his life. Not even. Well, he was talking about how he can't feel his legs. So it yeah, seemed I like did... that was going to be the main problem. But yes, this. because I thought it was silly. Because as soon as I thought that, I was like, oh, no, they'll just give him some sort of cybernetic leg. I was, I was gonna like, say, that there's a million ways he could still walk. I was going to say, did the Darth Maul spider legs cross your mind yes, in that moment? <laughs> that was the second thing. The first was a wheelchair, because I was like, we've never seen that in Star Wars. Then I was like, we haven't seen that in Star Wars for a reason. He can get cybernetic legs. And then he died. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> It was a whirlwind. It was a whirlwind of emotions. Yeah, great death. Um, All right, moving on to our number twos, Matthew. Number two. This is my actual number two as well, and it should come as no surprise. uh, It is going back to A New Hope. It is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, I love Obi-Wan. I know I say Kanan is my favorite Jedi. Obi-Wan probably realistically is. It's between Obi-Wan and Kanan. Um, but Obi-Wan's death, I mean, I love A New Hope, and I think that is, like, the crux of that movie, and it just sends everybody on their paths, and, you know, seeing Kenobi, the show, it has so much more weight now for, for Leia, but beyond that, it's, 
and, and obviously with Luke and everything too, like him seeing kind of his master who was, he's only known for a brief moment in time, um, die right in front of his eyes. It, it is that push to officially, you know, have him go in towards this journey. Um, and it's like, yeah, so this lightsaber uh, is cool, right? And it's all these different mythical things. But I think that is the moment of realness uh, that really gets them. They're doing this heist. They're doing a breakout thing. It's not fun in games necessarily until that point, but the stakes are raised instantly when Obi-Wan Kenobi dies. And beyond that, the most important part is the fact that he's facing, you know, Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker. And it is a beautiful moment where he chooses to go out by himself. Everything, it's not satisfying to Darth Vader. He strikes him down and it is... Not because he's better than him, it's because Obi-Wan chooses to. And we see him consistently outbeat Anakin, and he does it as a final moment. He he beats him again by just letting him kill him without any sort of skill. He just lets him do it. And I I had Obi-Wan in my honorable mentions, actually. Um, and for what it did, I think, for the story as a whole, I wasn't around in 1977 when the movie came out. I just kind of grew up with it. So I don't really know what it would have been like to experience Obi-Wan Kenobi's death the first time. But I imagine that that had to have been the first moment in, maybe not the first, but the biggest moment in Star Wars when people first watched it when they were like, oh my goodness, like this force actually means something bigger, yeah. uh, like what he was describing, uh, rather than just simply, uh, you know, being able to. Uh, um, uh, do a Jedi mind trick yeah. or, uh, you know, kind of make a noise with your hands because up until his death, that was really all we saw the force, right? Mm-hmm. He trained Luke to uh, defend against that little blaster droid uh, without seeing. He did a Jedi mind trick and he made a little noise to distract some stormtroopers. And up until yeah. then, that was like the only thing we knew about the force. Mm-hmm. And then we see him die and he just disappears. And then he's suddenly communing with Luke through the force. I feel like that's when the audience is immediately plunged into this bigger world of what the force could actually be. Yeah. I love what it means for Darth Vader's character arc because he's been hunting Kenobi and obsessed with him for 20 years and he finally confronts him and he knows he can beat him and then Obi-Wan says, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And Vader finally wins the fight but loses the war against Mm Obi-Wan because he Mm -hmm. finally wins and he disappears and becomes more powerful than anything Vader could ever dream of. And so it's just such... I mean, it's not tragic because vader's a villain but in his eyes it is so tragic that you finally won and you still lost wow i've never thought about that yeah how infuriating that had to have been for darth vader who was wanting that moment for nearly 20 years Mm -hmm. and he got robbed and obi-wan yeah wow that is that is an excellent pick matthew thank you (laughs) uh luke number two Number two, I've always talked about this death because I think it gets really overlooked, and it is L3 in Solo, A Star Wars Story. Good pick. That's a great pick. movie, whether you like it or not, I love it. I know a lot of people think it's average, but that death is so, so impactful because the whole character of L3, first of all, is like a, a feminist droid who... Well, not feminist, but whatever the equivalent is for droid rights and droid rights, yeah, yeah, space <laughs> space feminist with droids. Um, she wants droids to be treated as the same as sentient people because droids are sentient, but are they? But are they owned as slaves, or do they have free will, or what happens when they die? And then she dies, and she says to Lando as he's holding her, and. A lot of this goes to Donald Glover's performance also. Uh, but while she's saying, what's happening to me, you let, you don't know. Because first of all, we don't know what death is like, but we certainly don't know what droid death is like. Is mm-hmm. it the same? Are droids 
sentient enough to experience death the same way we do. We don't even know what death is. And all those thoughts just go through my mind every time when L3 is dying. And it's just so, so sad. Does it make you feel any better that they basically, they don't revive her, but they are able to use her memory uh, or her navigational computer and upload it to the Falcon so that in a sense, she kind of lives on through the Falcon. It does not. trapped. (laughs) We always talk about that. That's the opposite of what she wanted, right? Which is to be free. (laughs) She's just a a navigational computer. It does not make me feel better. That's like if you're watching The Walking Dead and your favorite character dies. Oh, does it make you feel better that uh, their body gets to still be used as a zombie? (laughs) (laughs) No, it does not. But there's the point in Empire where C-3PO references it to Han Solo and he says, I don't know where your navigational computer learned to speak or i forget what the exact line was but it was something to that extent peculiar dialect peculiar dialect yeah yeah that's a that's a fun tie-in and i'm glad it's there but no it does not make me feel better for l3 because yeah like what matt said that is the opposite of what she wanted (laughs) in life and now she's stuck with it in death it's even more sad so your one of your favorite deaths is one of your how am i trying to say this one of your favorite deaths is one of your least favorite it doesn't matter. I'm gonna cut that. <laughs> <laughs> I it was like, oh, I can make this. I nope, <laughs> just flood my mind. Okay, well, building off of droid deaths, I will go ahead with my number two, and it is K2SO. You son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> That's is, a good one. It is a really emotional moment in Rogue One where Cassian and Jin are trying to uh, get the plans to the Death Star, and K2SO is holding the uh, stormtroopers at bay, and he is the first of uh, the Rogue One crew to die. So you don't really see it coming, and then he starts to get shot, and you kind of start to put it together, and you're like, oh no, he's going to die, and then he's telling them that they need to climb and that they can still upload the schematics from the navigational beacon or whatever it is at the top and then uh, uh, he ultimately sacrifices himself uh, locking the door uh, so that they could climb Um, and it was just a beautiful beautiful moment of sacrifice and when uh, K2SO falls to the ground lifeless you see the light in K2SO's eyes just slowly dim and it's just such a sad sad moment and Mm -hmm. It wasn't the moment for me in Rogue One where I realized that everyone was going to die, even though it should have been. <laughs> um, because as soon as that happened, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they, they killed off K2SO. That was crazy. I love that character. And then it wasn't until like three more deaths later where I was like, oh, I see what they're doing here. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a heavy thud when he falls, too. But yes, I, it is. And I think for such a funny character that's consistently cracking jokes... Um, to go out that way is like super noble and that's it, it is so jarring like that's a movie that like i would be i'll be afraid to show my kids at some point because it's like oh this fun droid who's gonna be your favorite he, uh, uh, k2so is truthfully in, in my top five um as well obviously a little lower than maxwell's um but I, I k2so is legitimately one of my favorite characters in star wars of all time because he's able to balance that that wittiness but he's also be able he's able to uh beyond his design uh kind of hold his own and then also sacrifice himself and i think that's a theme throughout all of these deaths that we're we're kind of circling is is sacrifice i feel like uh, a lot of these characters just do sacrifice themselves yeah because it's not just the sacrifice of his life it's the sacrifice like he locks the doors so that the stormtroopers can't get to Jin and Cassian, but also because he knows if he didn't, that Cassian would come back and try to save him. Yeah. And for the good of the mission and for the good of Cassian, he can't do that. So he has to lock the door for both their sakes. Exactly. Do you think in that moment he was also knowingly sacrificing Jin and Cassian too? Because he said you can still upload it. He never really said a plan to get out of there. And then he obviously locked them in. I don't think he 
knew. I don't because I don't think he really had a the choice. He was like, "This is as mu- this is as far as my mission goes. It's up to them now." I don't think he thought f- five steps ahead. I think he was just like, "This is the end of the road." Interesting. Do you think he was like, "They're gonna go die now as well"? No, it was just a thought that I had but, just oh, now. That when he locked, like when you were saying how he locked the door, I was like, "Oh yeah, he was kind of locking them in there, wasn't he?" But, I've, I've never thought about that. That is interesting because I think I think so. He, I think he knew when he was dying that Jin and Cassian one way or another were also going to die in the next hour or so. To be fair, it was a suicide mission, right? They knew kind of what oh, they were yeah. getting into. So. Correct. But it goes back to what I was saying originally, which is how I really should have seen it coming that they were all going to die, but we all should have, and no one did. No. Do you mind if I can start with my number one now? Unless that goes out of order, but it feels like no, go for it. The perfect lead in, which is my number one, which is a bit of a cop out, I guess, because it's technically two people, which is Jin Urso and Cassian Andor. Nice. Um, that is my number one, and it's a beautiful moment. I love the scene, but what I love more than that is that these two people come from almost opposite sides of the rebellion. Uh, one born into it, one that comes into it, one that runs away from it and eventually comes around to it, right? Uh, and then the other one who wants nothing to do with it and then goes in so hardcore. And no matter, basically, both of these people from different sides of the rebellion come together and have the same exact ending. Um, and I think that is what it's about. It is about the sacrifice. And at the end of the day, even though Jin is pretty new to the rebellion, right? She has this long history with it, but she's been running from it. Um, and then, and then Cassian, who has dedicated his, the better half of his life to it, um, both meet the same fate. And it's because of the greater good. And I think it's a beautiful moment. Um, I also, as we've talked about, Love Rogue One, love Andor. I love Jin or so, um, and yeah, I think I and also you know Andor in that show in that movie specifically is is like the least my least favorite character. And I think at the end you're like, oh man, that does suck. Though. I want to see more of them, and I'm so glad we are because uh, it's making one of the best Star Wars shows, uh, the best Star Wars show <laughs> we have seen. Um, I might eat my words again. Ahsoka has not ended yet uh, for <laughs> us in this uh, in this time. But yeah, Jin or so and Cassian Andor. And I think one of the reasons, going back to this theme of sacrifice, why that sacrifice was so emotional was because they don't know if what they did was worth it. Yeah. Uh, one of her last lines is, do you think anybody, or maybe Cassian said it, one of the two said, do you think anybody is listening? Yeah. And that is such like a, a sad, tragic line where luckily we as the audience know that they were and that they received the schematics and yep. that they eventually blew up the Death Star. But they didn't know that. They were just laying down their lives for this suicide mission, this small chance yep. to get this plan so that maybe they could blow it up in the future. <laughs> they do it all for hope. I yep, know. Exactly. And it's, it's beautiful. And it's a quote that I think about every single time we record this podcast. What that that quote? <laughs> which which quote? Do you think anybody's listening? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. We know they are, and they're all in Nebraska. Shout out to our Nebraska fans and Wisconsin newly. <laughs> uh, um, Luke, number one. Well, I just had one more thing to oh, say yeah, yeah. about uh, Cassian and Jin because they they do die, um, and it's disastrous, and they do it all for the hope that they're making a, the galaxy a better place, and. That's whole, the whole theme of Rogue One is hope and rebellions are built on hope. And we don't really get to see the um, impact of the inspiration that they lay down for what the rebellion can be until um, the only ex- example, at least I can think of directly, is in Alphabet Squadron, the, the trilogy, Chastna Chaddock. She views Jyn Erso as kind of her, her north star on what a rebel should be and what she should do. And it's really satisfying to see that sacrifice be laid so bare and what it actually resulted in years and years later. Yeah, absolutely. Smart Luke Taylor. Um, definitely, definitely one of the one of the best ones out there. Luke, your number one? 
My number one, I've never been so confident in a list in all of our recording this podcast <laughs> because I got Kanan for number one. Yeah. Which I think maybe we could all probably agree unanimously is the best Star Wars death of all time. It was in my top five and it, it got kicked out because I had it as my number three. I thought Matt was going to have it as his number one. And then when you started going into Rogue One, I was like, oh, this makes sense. So I put it together at the yeah. last second. I was like, son of a I Luke also, stole it. I also had it number three. Oh, yeah? Yep. Interesting. So we all agree, probably then, unanimously. And also... K2SO was my number five. Mm. Okay. That's a backtrack. Um, yes. Go ahead. We'll, we'll let you talk about Kanan because you ranked it the highest, but nothing but agreement out of us. Same. Yes. It is, it is not just that he is sacrificing himself to save Hera, the mother of his child, uh, his Padawan, not to mention Sabine, who is a great friend of him and a found family. It's not just that he is destroying the fuel depot that is powering the... Uh, tide defender program which is like their whole mission was to shut down that program he is saving his friends he's completing the mission also the mythological aspect of it that he is a jedi as it should be using the force for knowledge and defense as it should be like i said earlier and he is holding back this explosion just long enough to get his friends to safety he gets his sight back so that he can see his family one last time making good on that a uh, thing he said to Hera in season two finale when they're going off to Mortis and Kanan says, I'll see you again, which he gets blinded right after. And it's really tragic that he's never able to see her again, but he does see her that one last time. So he makes good on that promise. And it's just so like we were talking about with tech, it's out of left field. It's not even the finale to see, to rebels. It's like the, it's not the middle, but there's like a solid three or four or five episodes. after Five that. episodes. Yeah. Episode and 10 Jedi yeah. Knight. Yeah, I just think it is absolutely perfect. When he is able to see Hera again, it, it, I can I tear up every single time I see that. I just showed uh, my wife Lynn that the other. I'm saying my wife Lynn to the audience. I think they know that. They clearly know that you guys know who that is. <laughs> um, I, I showed her the other day. I don't know why, because well, so goes on. Who am I kidding? And uh, I just start <laughs> I start tearing up, which is. Uh, so odd when you're showing somebody something and they have no context and you're like, what are you doing right now? But it is so sad and it is so beautiful too. Mm-hmm. And then he force pushes and just fades to white. Oh, and also I don't uh, resonate with the tech death as much because I had it spoiled for me, which I normally don't mind spoilers too much, but the, I do think the, the tech death was a little bit less exciting for me because of that. But for months I didn't watch rebels while it released and I was rewatching it and I would see like on Twitter a picture of that final image of mm-hmm. Kanan with his eyesight back and I didn't even recognize him cuz he got a haircut and yeah. I'm watching it and he's blind so I'm like who who's this idiot? I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea who it is. And then no it beard. happened and I was like, "Oh my god, that's been Kanan this whole time." Yes. Twitter, I do agree this is the most impactful <laughs> moment in all of Star Wars. Luke is the type of person who would have been confused by Clark Kent wearing his glasses as a disguise. <laughs> I have never seen this man before in my life. <laughs> he looks very different with with the haircut. It's He does. It's a jarring difference. He does. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And um uh Clone Wars, which I we talk about a lot and I absolutely love Clone Wars. There's a lot of really uh sad kind of darker moments in it and Rebels I feel like didn't have nearly as many. Um but this one was probably one of the most impactful. I I agree. And, and it was what? a moment that just takes everyone off guard because mm-hmm. You don't expect it from what you think is a kid's show, nope. and then you see such an emotional death, and then afterwards you're just like kind of sitting in that, and you're like, oh my, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. Mm-hmm. I think uh, what you just said though is that it, it knows when to pack a punch, and it does. You know, in Clone Wars, it has a lot of people to to to, to kill off. Oh, we didn't do our honorable mentions before number one. <laughs> oh well, 
that doesn't matter because we Kanan's the best. We'll, get to that. Say, we'll, we'll talk about our honorable like, mentions like, in a second. Like fives is very sad too. Yeah, but it's like mm-hmm. you, there's a lot of those moments in Clone Wars, but in Rebels, it's like it's you. It's a very small group of people. Um, but yeah, man, Kanan is the best. We can talk forever about it. We didn't do our honorable mentions because it segued in too nicely, just like this is segueing into my number one, which is from the Clone Wars. It is a character named Satine Kreese. So for those of you who have seen Clone Wars, know that I don't really need to explain it. For those of you who haven't seen Clone Wars, Satine Kreese was the Duchess of Mandalore, and it was revealed that in an earlier life, Satine Kreese and Obi-Wan Kenobi had a little romantic interest in each other. And uh, in a moment of vulnerability, Obi-Wan confided in uh, Satine that had she asked him to leave the order, he would have done it for her. And uh, the reason that Obi-Wan was back with Satine during this time was because Darth Maul, who was also brought back in the Clone Wars, is going to Mandalore to take it over. And Darth Maul does so by assassinating Satine Kreese right in front of Obi-Wan, and she dies in his arms. Now, again, this is supposed to be a kid's show, and it's one of the saddest moments. They, They introduce a love interest for Obi-Wan Kenobi where no groundwork was put for that in any movie prior to this. This was 100% introduced in the show just to have her die off in his arms just to basically test Obi-Wan Kenobi because Darth Maul is doing this to test Obi-Wan, to to try to push him into the dark side. And Obi-Wan tells him that only the weak can succumb to the dark side. It takes true strength to oppose it. And this was the ultimate test for Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it was the the death of the love of his life. And as she's dying in his arms, she tells him that she has always loved him. And it's one of the saddest moments in all of Star Wars. It's a beautiful moment. And also, it makes Maul's death so much more satisfying, too, (laughs) that he also uh, kills him. But yeah, I think it's a great choice. I don't know if it's my number number one, not to poo-poo your... Number well, one choice. Clearly didn't. It's a great. It's a great. It's a great choice. But I, I. I think that is incredibly. It is incredibly sad, and I do like seeing that side of Obi Wan. I think we've been saying this the entire time, but the implications around it. We've known Obi Wan, and to see that other layer, and then kind of why he is the way he is when he's like a little bit older, a little bit more like stoic and hardened too. Um. Yeah, it's a great moment. And Luke. it's just a great way to humanize him too, because it's like, of course, he would have had some sort of love interest when he was younger. You know, who doesn't? Yeah. Um. Not to take the wind out of your sails a little bit more after Matt's already dumping on your choice. But <laughs> what the heck? When you, when you were saying that. We, about... To be fair, we also, I mean, we should just let Luke for number one for Kanan, to be fair. You can't really top it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I should have gone You're over last. here with a minor character, Maxwell. <laughs> no, she's one of the most emotional deaths in all of Star Wars. What it, it means for Obi-Wan and Maul's storyline together. It does mean a lot. And I, and I do love that uh, story arc in the Clone Wars. But when you were saying that, when um, Satine said... Or Obi-Wan said to Sistine that if you had asked, I would have left the order for you. It reminded me of the Obi-Wan and Anakin comic series that I'm looking at on your wall. When um, it has a very similar beat that Palpatine is trying to seduce Anakin and convince him to like leave the Jedi. And Obi-Wan is talking to, I think, Yoda. And he says, like, I made a promise to Qui-Gon. I'm going to train Anakin no matter what. So if Anakin leaves, I have to also to continue his training. And it's like a great moment for his relationship with Anakin. And this is the Satine one's a great moment for his uh, relationship with Satine. But when you look at them together, it's like, damn, Obi-Wan will leave for anything. (laughs) (laughs) He just wanted to get out of there. (laughs) We're lucky we kept him around. The dude was just looking for an excuse. Order 66 hit. And he said, thank God I'm out of (laughs) here. Good. I've been looking for retirement. (laughs) Yeah, I need a new job. 
Oh, that's funny. Okay, so uh, like Matt said, we didn't get to get to some of our honorable mentions earlier. So real quick, let's just throw a couple out there. Uh, Luke, what were some for you? Yeah, it breaks my heart. I wanted to do like a top seven or eight or nine or ten because there's just so many that I would mm-hmm. I would love to get to. And I feel bad leaving them out. I mean, Han Solo, that is, that's my first honorable mention. That is such yeah. a significant death in Star Wars, let alone the sequel trilogy and Kylo Ren and Rey's uh, character arcs. It is very well shot, very well done. Um I'm, I wish I could have put it higher, but what are you going to do? And then my last honorable mention is Maul, who is maybe, no, probably not my favorite character, but top three characters in all of Star Wars. He has such a great story from tragic beginnings to devastating endings, and we still don't even know all of it. There's still so much more to explore, and it's all going to be just as sad. And uh, the way also that his uh, death scene is shot in Rebels, the way he and Obi-Wan uh, exchange stances and imitate uh, the Qui-Gon and who Obi-Wan is and whether he's the young duelist Obi-Wan Kenobi or the old sage Ben Kenobi and the way Maul tries to use the same uh, move to kill him like he did Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan counters it and it's not a flashy or a, a big fight but it's just so meaningful. Yeah, yeah, very poetic. And it would not mean nearly as much if it wasn't for the death of Satine Kreez. That's true. I will die on that hill. Um, I, I'm I surprised. love the death of Satine Kreese. I don't mean to... <laughs> I know I said I was taking the wind out of your sails. It was just because I was mentioning something tangentially related. That is a great death. I'm, I'm surprised that you didn't go with uh, Qui-Gon as an honorable mention. He's your second favorite Jedi of all time, isn't he? Yeah, and his death is very cool for like what it means to Anakin, but... I mean, at the end of the day, he just kind of lost a duel. <laughs> yeah, the scene's cool. <laughs> at the end of the day. The scene's cool. You just got bested, bud. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll go with my honorable mentions as well real quick. Um, it's a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. I feel like, um, to start off on a very odd note, the Grand Inquisitor in Rebels is such a great death, I think, when he falls to his death, uh, battling Kanan. I think that is I wanted insanely to include that, good. but I hadn't read the comic uh, recently enough. Do you remember... Um, because when the Grand Inquisitor dies, he mm. says there are some fates worse than death, mm. and he doesn't actually die there. He gets like trapped in a Force Nexus because he appears in comics later to Luke Skywalker, and he's like trapped in basically Force Purgatory or something, and it's even sadder. Is that where Ahsoka's at right now in the world between worlds? Because uh, <laughs> she also fell. But okay, well I guess that nixes that. But either way, I'm going to go <laughs> with what, what, what I know is that I think that was one of the most intense moments in Rebels. I don't know. I loved it. It was it's super intense. Uh, somebody yeah, the else. way Kanan uses both lightsabers and says, now I have nothing to fear. And yeah, that's rad. Yeah, that's a and great then scene. Also, uh, Marva from, from Andor, I think she is, you know, she's a, uh, her, her death fractures that community and brings Andor back, obviously. And I think what she is able to do during the funeral procession, which we've talked in, you know, to great lengths to already in the, in the Andor review, but I think her death is great. Not because, uh, you know, she's an interesting character, but just for what it does for the story and what it does for the rebellion is really cool. And then this is a bit of a cheat. So obviously I wasn't going to put this, but the death of Anakin Skywalker, right? Not necessarily Darth Vader. I know technically Anakin, he turns good and turns back to Anakin and, and then dies as an older man. But when he's on Mustafar and that, de- the, you know, the, I would, that's what I would call the death of Anakin Skywalker. When he burns. When he burns and he is yelling at, at, at Obi-Wan. It is frightening. And going through, Revenge of the Sith, you know, you're starting with the death of Dooku, which is jarring, and then you're ending with the death of Anakin Skywalker right before he comes becomes Darth Vader, is a great bookend 
uh, to that movie. And it is, you know, it is, it is frightening still to this day. And I think Hayden Christensen's performance, if anybody talks about his, uh, his acting, I think that is a scene to look to specifically in that, in those, those original, that original trilogy and thinking that like, those were obviously directions given to him to act a certain way because he, he can obviously act in it is it in that last scene. You know, this is a freezing cold take because people nowadays have finally come around to appreciating the prequels. There's a lot of Hayden's acting that got a lot of uh, hate that I always thought was good. That scene in particular, yeah, I always thought that was great yep. acting by Hayden. Also, the part in Attack of the Clones where he says, uh, talking about the sand people, they're animals, and I slaughter them like animals, I hate them. I also think that's good acting. Mm-hmm. He's very emotionally upset and distraught, and it's unsettling, and I would be too. It's Yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree. Yeah, Death of Anakin Skywalker is a good one, similar to what I was saying about Kylo Ren. It's like up until that point for Anakin, he was doing bad things for good reasons. Like he was going to overthrow the Empire and maybe he was going to institute a new Empire under his rule and he would have been fair and good and he wanted to do it for Padme and for their children. But no, after that scene, he is nothing but rage and hate. Yeah. So uh, before we did this, when we were talking about this episode, we briefly talked about the idea of maybe doing like a not top 10 or something like ESPN. Um, And I thought it'd be funny to do characters who I think are almost certainly uh, not dead. In that list, I would include Mace Windu, uh, Tech, and I think I would add Grand Inquisitor to that. People who you can absolutely... Well, no, (laughs) not that he's not dead, right? But people who absolutely can and probably will come back as soon as they start running out of ideas again. Yeah. but a couple uh, honorable mentions that I wanted to run through aren't very flashy deaths, but sometimes they just need to be something to kind of entertain you. So three of the most entertaining deaths that I have. Number one, the, the jet trooper in The Rise of Skywalker who gets shot in the jetpack and he flies around like a balloon being let out of air and then he crashes into the side of a mountain in a comically large fireball. <laughs> It's so out of place, and I love it. I think it's goofy and hilarious. Uh, Another one comes from Kenobi. We see a stormtrooper get shot, fall off a tower onto a laser uh, gate, and just gets sliced in half. And it's the first time that you really see something like that in Star Wars. They always kind of like imply that that's what would happen, but just seeing it was so jarring. You're like, oh my goodness. Um, And then the other one also comes from The Last Jedi, to no one's surprise. Um, the Praetorian Guard during uh, the fight in Snoke's throne room that just gets tossed into what you think is just another endless pit, but is apparently some sort of meat grinder, <laughs> and just shrapnel of his armor just comes like shooting out of it, and like you like get that sound effect of like a grinder, and it's like, what was that? Why was that there? Why is there no railing around that? But that- and every time in that scene, because that scene is so epic, and then there's like that weird. I feel like that's a comedic beat almost, where I'm like, what the. F- <laughs> That is another hill that I will die on that I've, I don't know if we've ever talked about it. Um, in the theatrical release of The Last Jedi, the sound effect was different than in the DVD and Disney Plus release. Because it used really? to sound like a meat grinder, and now it sounds more electric, like a... I don't know. But it... You think you, you, I think think you heard it different it. in the theaters? I think it was different in the theaters, yes. Interesting. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, before we leave, does anyone have any force for thought for this episode? I do have some force for thought. Um, this past week, my wife was driving a lot, and she was asking me for book recommendations and for audiobooks, and so I gave her a bunch of Star Wars ones, and she has never really read the Star Wars books, but she likes romance books, so I recommended Lost Stars, and she loved it, and she's like, oh, that was so good, good love story, and what's another? And I was like, well, I can't think of a single other <laughs> romance book in Star Wars, and so she looked up Rebel Rising, and she's like, oh, I'll give this one a go, and I was like, okay, it's not really a love story, it's uh kind of a prelude to Rogue One, which and I think it's kind of dark. And so she's reading it, 
And it's always interesting talking to her about Star Wars because of what she does and doesn't know. It's so arbitrary. I mean, she's seen the movies, but it's forgotten half of it. And so she was telling me, like, yeah, this book is really dark. Like, Saw Gerrera went to try to skin a guy's face off. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God, are you serious? And she was like, yeah, because he found out that this guy knew Jin Erso was an Imperial scientist's daughter. And I was like, well, we knew that. <laughs> and she's like, oh, but you didn't know that he like tried to skin his face off? And I was like, no, that is so different. <laughs> An oh. action he does versus the implications of what he is in the in the galaxy and who he's connected to is are very different things. That's hilarious. All right, well, let us know what you think. Are there any other major deaths that we uh, left off our list that you think should have been included? Let us know. You can reach us across all the socials at uh, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, uh, YouTube. Um, you can message us. Uh, you can email us at forceforthought at gmail.com. We never plugged that one, but shoot That's us an true. email. Um, oh, man, we're opening up a floodgate there. <laughs> They're going to start putting us for their spam accounts. And, and also, <laughs> let us know if you want to book us for a private event to do the podcast. We will come to Nebraska. We Nebraska and, and, and Wisconsin. Those are the only two states. See you, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs>